It's episode 6 of STTNG's Not Another Star Trek Podcast. An episode unafraid of its arrogance. Ira Grace, I mean, he's totally offensive in so many ways. Right. But he brings some swagger to that show. An episode happy to go all in on the robot action. So what I'm saying is that Data is dangerous. An episode unapologetic about loving all things Troy. So she should really have the ability to experience Data's mind in some way and go, you're not Data after all. (laughs) Get your mind around this. It's the Schizoid Man. And it's coming at you right about now. Three, what? One. It's you, Beth. Podcast. (laughs) It's STTNG's Not Another Star Trek Podcast. There's nothing wrong with going back and rewatching every episode. That's 178 of them all together of Star Trek The Next Generation. I am Commander Davey Dave, counting down the hits with my pal. It's me, Ambassador Andrew. <laughs> Ambassador. Okay. What? Why? I like to bring love and peace and understanding. I like that. I, I like, like your bring... use of hand gesturing in a podcast. It's wonderful. <laughs> I, I, I got a hand gesture for you. <laughs> what does Jimmy have to say about this anyway? I thought my name was Billy. No, oh, it's Jimmy. <laughs> I'm sorry. Be, Behind the scenes, we're we're always working up new voices that we could bring, like to our cavalcade of uh, yes. uh, of background players. Yes, I've been working on my Picard for now one plus seasons, and it's growing stronger. Everyone, we've got a lot of notes. I mean, I cannot tell you how many times I've opened up my email and said, "Well, Dave." Keep doing that, Picard. You are bringing the Jean-Luc. So many. So we're, 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 we're coursing our way through. Season This two. season has 22 episodes for all of you guys that are uh, keeping track in your little Star Trek scorecard. Your logs. Captain's log. What if I just Ed McMahon this episode and say things like, uh, 22. Wait, wait, what 22. is Ed McMahon? In a log. Tell me more about Ed McMahon. Well, I'm just going to echo every last thing you say. <laughs> so go ahead and... Ed McMahon for everybody. Ha ha. People that are aware of what Star Trek The Next Generation was or is probably are aware of who Ed McMahon was too. So I don't know if I have to call that one out, do you think? Call it out. No. (laughs) No, sir, you do not. (laughs) He was famous for repeating Johnny Carson's lines, but then also sometimes showing up uh, having had too much to drink, which was... You know, uh, at the time, that was something people thought was amusing. Very amusing. Speaking of drinks, I'm about to pop one. I'm very, very thirsty. Ah. Ah. Tonight's episode, folks, is the Schizoid Man. <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't have said the that weirder. Schizoid Man. Not necessarily politically correct. You, you think? I, I think it, I think it's probably not the, a nice way to say Someone with mental illness, yeah. I'm drinking a, a delightful pink grapefruit Perrier, everyone, just so you know. Maybe we'll get an endorsement deal. Boobly, a poor man's excuse for sparkling water. <laughs> so it, it happens that the the Enterprise is doing what it does. It's flying around. It's got this weird call, this distress call, uh, kind of garbled from a place called Graves World, which is the modestly named home of famous genius Ira graves <laughs> yeah they, so they head to graves world to answer a distress call from his assistant his companion whatever the hell this this person kareen is 
Apparently, Graves is dying. In a last-ditch effort at immortality, Graves secretly transforms his consciousness into Data. Data. Lieutenant Commander Data, taking over the shared body and confessing his love to the much younger Kareen. Will Picard be able to convince Graves to leave Data alone? And when did Johnny get so handsy anyway? Will Data settle for a goatee? All these questions and more are answered in this new exciting episode. I just want to hit it. Just in case people don't enjoy our singing version of the song playing in the background at the beginning of the show. Our singing version? Yes. That's Dave himself, ladies and gentlemen. You don't want to take credit for that? It's an episode where they do stuff and then other stuff happens. Well, you know what I have to I have to actually commend this episode on? Yes? We had talked before in season one that there were some really convoluted plots that just sort of didn't seem like they ever came together. And this time... We're focused. We have one plot. It's one point. The problem with that, of course, being that we know what's happens pretty early right. on because people get taken over on this show a lot, number one. But number two, you know, it, it, it's telegraphed to us what, what's going to happen. And <laughs> watching it play out, eh, you know, I think it's interesting. I enjoy it. They suppose this idea in the plot, and it is pretty simple, and then they kind of play around with the acting and they use their bag of Hollywood tricks to convey the story. And it's really similar to what they did in data lore, which was one of our better episodes. And it's the same kind of hijacking of data thing going on here with these character actor tools where you have our Dr. Ira Graves played by who plays this dude? W. Morgan Shepard, character actor, yeah. father of actor Mark Shepard. Probably people know Mark Shepard nowadays better than they'll know W. Morgan Shepard. Mark Shepard had a ton of seasons on Supernatural as Crowley. He was on that Battlestar Galactica reboot. He was in Firefly. He's um, He's been in a ton of stuff. And this is his dad, Morgan Shepard. Uh, let me try to make my point. Uh, the, my whole idea here was that what the show's doing is painting this character who is the doctor, Dr. Ira Graves, okay? And he's an exaggerated character. And so what they do, and this is what they do with Data Lore too, they they create somebody who Brent Spiner can play with his acting tools because the character is such, he has tics, he has things that he says, and, and it's something that Spiner can later replicate when... He's supposed to be possessed by this dude that hijacks his brain. No, wasn't there another one where he was possessed? Who else possessed this dude? No, he hasn't been possessed yet. This is your second possession. Anybody else get possessed so far in this show? Uh, Yes, Jean-Luc Picard has been possessed a couple of times. Jean-Luc got possessed by that space cloud once, right? Yes, he did. The lonely among us. And then uh, uh, when the... The space Ferengi cloud. was getting his blood revenge. He oh. was controlling Jean-Luc's mind, but... The Ferengi was. He, yeah. Only one of those things entered through Jean-Luc's butt, butt I think. I think, you're, <laughs> I think you were the one that pointed that out. I think you said something about, like, how... Well, you know, I mean, we this this is this season. We had, um, you know, an in, impregnation already. That's how they started the season off, if you didn't... If everybody missed uh, episode one of season two... Deanna Troy got um, knocked up by a, a space light. Yes, like a nightlight who initially uh, went to a male crew member and seemed to be probing for uh, an entry. 
And when did not find a suitable entry, then moved on to Deanna Troy. So not yes, only there, that, there's there's been a very it's been been a very probing season, a very yeah. penetrative season. I don't think I don't know if we were necessarily going uh, there in this episode, but it's like the all probing episode when this dude that you're talking about gets probed because the the little guy is flying around and he's trying to get inside of this dude and the guy's the, light, like, the little light being. There's different ways of entry for aliens, apparently, because the space cloud, Jean-Luc was just laying there like nothing happened. He's- yeah, yeah. I mean, meanwhile, the other guy, I, I thought he needed fiber, and maybe that's <laughs> what the, the entity was just like, there's not enough fiber in this one. Let's see. Uh, that, that Troy looks like she enjoys some oats. <laughs> I've been taking my Metamucil number one. Who's been eating their muesli aboard the- uh, <laughs> Of course, Jean-Luc is doing Computer, that. muesli, hot. Uh, R- Riker, hand me the uh, muesli card. Oh, what am I talking about? Uh, Jordy, hand me the muesli card. <laughs> Riker's, that Riker's not into muesli. No, that guy. Riker, a- Riker eats a lot of breakfast meats. Yeah, he's a big guy. He's got a. I mean, that's a, he's a powerful dude, man. He, he's he, he's a bacon and sausage sausage either links or patties. I'm not really sure where. Right, the sausage card, please. Down yeah. in the. Um, the mess hall. In the original series, everybody, they used to have these little wooden cards that they would use. No description on them. They would just... <laughs> yeah, grab an orange one and God only knows what you got. Let's hope for the best. Yeah, and they just put it in and then something would come out of the replicator that they wanted to eat. Well, let's talk about Ira Graves a little please, bit. Please, I mean, God, please. We mentioned the fact that he's played by M. Morgan Shepard. I was trying to explain the Doctor Who connection that his son is Mark Shepard and in season six of the reboot of New Who, um, 11th Doctor episodes, uh, Impossible Astronaut and Day of the Moon. Morgan Shepard plays yes. the same character as Mark Shepard, only he plays an older version from the future. Oh. And Mark Shepard plays, the character is, is named like Canton Delaware. Oh, man. Or something like that. They're, they're both in the episode, though, right? Yeah, they're both right, in the right. episode. Okay, okay. So you meet, you meet the father first. Yeah, yeah. And then the character comes out again as the younger version, Mark Shepard. And I've I've met Mark Shepard. I met Mark Shepard at Comic Con. He was a nice guy. He was a little grouchy. Yeah. I, I think he was just tired. And then my friend and I saw him and we were like, Hey, it's Mark Shepard. <laughs> so we said, Hey, take a picture with us, Mr. Shepard. And he was like, Oh, for God's sake, you people sicken me. But I'll take a picture with you if if you give money to this charity, oh, you oh. gotta promise me you'll do that. And I'm like, dude, dude, totally. And then he took the picture, and I actually did. I actually did give that. I know most people are thinking. And then I said, screw. Yeah, I, that would have been a lot funnier if you had. Yeah, but, well, yeah, that's what I did in the story. But in real life, I actually went, <laughs> and he was at the booth at the time, so he saw me. Oh, okay. And and he looked at me, but he didn't like acknowledge that I was following through. It was kind of like you know, Andrew is a huge comic con goer. Okay, he also yeah. And every once in a while, I make it. I make it down there, and and for yes, ver- you do for various reasons. I can't always get there. Many of those reasons are that I can't get a goddamn ticket from the stupid comic convention (laughs) (laughs) for as much as I like to go. But I got to tell you something, uh, being somebody that goes to these cons and seeing these guys get pissed off about stuff like that, it just rubs me the wrong way. It's like that comic con, you were jammed in there with all these people, right? Like thousands of people. The bathrooms are overflowing with urine and feces. And then these guys get to, (laughs) I mean, these guys can use those bathrooms. They don't have to. There's special bathrooms for them. They get to sit in space. 
special places. And then people all day long come up to them and tell them how, oh, I loved you in Doctor Who and you're so wonderful. And then and then they have the audacity to complain about what a like He uh, did not complain. <coughs> no, it's just like this. He did not complain. Listen, listen. You can, in your mind, you can go through uh. the people, because I know we don't want to call them out on our silly uh, little show, but... Uh, just in case we could ever get some guests, but but <laughs> well, that, we're never going to get Edward James Olmos. That's the I one I was next to him. I peed next to him. <laughs> that's the one I was going to mention, not mention because not mention. Yeah, but but he was he was a he was grumpy, and it's like, come on, guys, he was grumpy. Yes, it, it's like, come on, if you're going to be grumpy like that, we saw John Carpenter in an early con. This right, was like right, yeah, we did, and yeah, we did. and that dude, man, and I love John Carpenter. Okay, and I was uh-huh. so excited to see him speaking in public and he was just the grumpiest dude like he was so he wasn't grumpy he was in his cups uh, i don't know if you remember that but i was getting a contact buzz just being near this dude but i want to say this yes. we were not there to see him we were there to see sam raimi show the first ever clip of of spider-man that he showed the, in public the right? first yes the first Spider-Man, so we yes. sat through uh, Tim Burton, Planet of the Apes thing, right? And then we sat through John Carpenter's Ghosts of Mars. That you had this actor who was playing one of the aliens who actually came in full costume, right? Joanna Cassidy was there, lovely, lovely person, terrible stage presence. Oh, uh, it was tough. Well, because Carpenter she... was late and drunk. <laughs> See, I was just gonna go with grumpy. All right. Well, well, listen, listen. He's a grumpy drunk at least because he was unpleasant. I was happy to see John Carpenter because I'd never seen him in real life, and I was very excited about that. I love, I love his movies and John Carpenter movies like Escape from New York and The Thing and Big Trouble in Little China and a bunch of great movies. Starman. They live. They live. They live. Yes, of course. There were more people in that room to hear Drunken John Carpenter that went to go see Ghost of Mars. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, he definitely didn't sell the movie. But I, my point was, these guys go to these cons, and I get it. Like, If you're the kind of person that doesn't want some goober coming up to you and making you uh, shake their sweaty hand and have to talk about some show that you don't isn't your favorite thing that you were on or whatever. Then don't go to the con in the first place, all right? Just stay home. I got to find the picture and see if I can post it up <laughs> on the website because you can see how damn grumpy this guy looks. I, oh, I just really? got to find it. But I don't want to say anything bad about Mark Shepard. I think he's wonderful. He, I enjoy He is a good actor roles. and his dad is... And he did stop and, and have the picture. All right. Picture. I'm just, I'm making a bigger point about these people, okay? You know, we've we've been standing on the floor and we've seen Tom Cruise be ushered through. We've nobody's allowed to look at him. Don't touch him. Don't look. The, the, yeah, the yeah, security yeah. guards are telling yeah. you not to get too close to him. Right. You know what? One of my favorite con experiences was walking by a table and and you could just you could you're so close you could touch them. The whole cast of Next Gen was sitting there, except for Patrick right. Stewart. They were right. all right there and 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 happy. They were sitting there and they were saying, "Yeah, we we love the fans, and we're going to sit here and, and and even if they're pretending like that's what you do, you're an actor. Act like you like people. Big deal." Yeah. And I will say, Representative John Lewis, when I met him at Comic Con, mm. couldn't have been nicer. He was on his way somewhere else. He still took time to talk to me, stop and take a picture. God rest his soul. Yes. Put that picture up. All right. Where All right. are we now? So back- Ira Graves. Schizoid man. Yes. The dude that has a planet. Do you think he named the planet after himself? Well, of course he did. Who the hell else do you think did it? But what you know what I love about this planet? So this planet's called Graves World, right? After Graves his last name. World. We're going, and, and Picard keeps saying, we're going to Graves World. Graves, Graves World. But World. Next stop, Graves World. But it's funny. It's like, I kind of think Picard wouldn't put up with that kind of shit if Riker came up to him and handed him the clipboard and said, yeah. Uh, you know, Cap. Next up, we're going to Graves World. And he's Graves World. What? What? What the hell? 
Who's Graves, anyways? What the bloody hell? Rubbish! I, I kind of think of... Um, <laughs> okay, good, good, good. Picard as calling out the name of the planet, like, Venusius 3 or something. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, we're going to Grave World, sir. No, you, you mean Venusius 3? Yeah. Uh, next stop. One of the reasons I like this episode okay. is exactly what you're hitting on is the fact that that it's a great character for Spiner to do his his routine with, but also that Morgan Shepard, I mean, it's a great character, this Ira Grace. I mean, he's totally offensive in so many ways. Right. He is so arrogant, but he brings some swagger to that show, and we just don't see enough of this kind of thing because everyone is so self-possessed and modest and and right. open-minded, non-confrontational and crap like that on the ship, it adds some some right. energy to the show. I mean, and more so than a character like Akona, who was such a simp that, that he was hard to put up with. <laughs> I mean, I think this character is also kind of a Mary Sue. Like, wouldn't it be cool if I was space Ernest Hemingway and I could just sit around and say things like, women aren't people. They're women. <laughs> He's all alone except for this woman with the name. She's a, a space Karen, Karine. Karine. He's all alone except for her, and here he is. I mean, he's a people person, man. He wants to have an audience. He needs to have somebody to right, talk right. to with all these one-liners, and you know, the the guy's an a-hole, and he's playing it like that. You know, the guy's a great actor. He's been in a million things. He knows how to deliver this exaggerated performance so that then Spiner can later on adopt it. And of course, Spiner does a great job. Spiner, he creates the illusion that this guy is actually inside of him. I mean, you know, I was believing it. I wasn't believing. It was Brent Spiner putting on a thing. I was believing the guy was had hijacked Spiner's brain. Yeah, the, the guy was possessing him. I wouldn't necessarily say the guy was inside of him. That's kind of sending a different message. But I was, I would definitely say the guy was, the guy was possessing him. Um, <laughs> inside of his brain. What are you talking about? <laughs> he does have some great lines. I mean, I love it when he says to, to to Troy, like, "This is one of the truly great moments of your life." I mean, and he delivers it so well. <laughs> Uh, he could play this yes. this arrogant, self-absorbed jerk so well. Uh, he also does one of our favorite things where he throws, like, Rigelian in front of you. He's not just an ox. I'm strong as a Rigelian ox. Right. Aldebaran's the planet from the original series that they would reference a lot. And so is Rigel. I mean, Rigel oh, is... Oh, right. Is... Rigel's seven, of course. How could I forget? Yeah. <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> There's a lot of hurrying up and getting there. In the show, and they do this a lot, where they're like everybody's really busy to get to someplace. Like it's very important that we all get there very quickly, and so they're they're going to meet this dude uh, Graves World, and then they get a distress call from the ship. They're going to Graves World because he's sick, and the doctor is supposed to go treat him, and he's this very famous person. He's the smartest man in the galaxy, so they're of course going to get there. And then they have this dilemma because there's this this ship that's in distress, and of course, the doctor says, you know, we'll go and rescue, you know, 250 people as opposed to this one man, even though he's he's brilliant. What I love is that they invent this new form of um, transporting. Oh, yeah. That that was it sub warp or trans warp or here comes. It's the like, warp. I think it's a, a near it's called a near warp transport. Near warp transport. Uh-oh. But that's also one of those things like that. Remember that weird visor attachment that Jordy had? Right. That let the crew see what he saw? That was in yeah. the Heart of Glory. Yeah, it's Heart of Glory. Three Klingons. That's a good example of an episode where there's so much going on already, and then it's like, let's play visors. But with this one, it's like, we're going to do this cool warp thing. Isn't it cool? But there's, it's just like... 
You want to do something different? You want to do like a trans warp thing? That seems like it'd be a lot of fun. It doesn't lead to anything. It doesn't pay off in any but way. It, it's just something they do, which is, I guess, kind of cool, maybe. I don't know. So the idea, though, is that they're they're just coming out of warp, and they they have no time to stop, so they're going to just like you know, like throw on the brakes, and as they're kind of sliding past the planet, they're going to send these fools down through the transporter, which seems awfully dangerous, right? And yes. this is why I focus on this, because Troy is the person who brings this up, and she's nervous about it. Everybody's kind of just putting up with her worrying about it. Like, you know, she she doesn't want to be ejected into space and transported into the middle of something, and she has real concern about it. And even Riker, Riker's the one in the transportation, I mean, in the, what do you call it? They call it the transporter room, Dave. And and she's kind of, yeah you're right um hey uh what does this mean exactly and he's kind of like shut up and get in there like yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah don't you worry about it sweetie it's fine <laughs> well but it also and this, it, is it her, just, this is her this is her imzadi but it, it just doesn't <laughs> if it's so dangerous why do it I mean I know. Why, you, you could stop right. for like five minutes it's not going to make that much a difference if you're traveling right. faster than the speed of light it's not going to make a difference if you stop for five minutes. <laughs> let the trans let the the transporter complete its job, right? Let those coils and then take off. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying, and I think it's just the the point is it's kind of a gag on Troy's character where it's like she's got worries and they're they're not really paying attention to what she's worrying about, and they make a joke out of it, like just get in there and do it. Well, that's too bad because Troy does pretty well in this episode. I mean, she yeah. she goes with Jordy to see Data and his beard, and Data Data decides he's going to put a beard on to make himself look. Like more sophisticated, and it's hilarious because he does this whole thing about like stroking his beard. You know, does that make me seem more thoughtful? And I love it. It's it's just a great moment, and it would have been great if he yes. had had his beard for more than just that moment, <laughs> no. or if oh. he went for a goatee, like the whole, or episode. maybe some kind of like really bushy mustache. You know, like a cowboy mustache or something. But you know, I guess. But the beard to paint the picture, the beard is Riker's beard. So they, oh, yeah. they come into the room and he's wearing the surprise when he when he reveals that he's got this beard and he looks like Riker. And so they're goofing on Jonathan Frakes a bit. And I, I imagine Jonathan Frakes thinks it's funny, but they're goofing on Riker's new beard that he has this season. And, and he's making fun of stroking it and using it in the way that Riker's already used it so far. So right, it's, right. it's kind of a funny inside goof on the show. And I, I really wish the show was funnier like that when it wanted to be because it's yeah. those are the those are the best moments in the show and i i think they they still have trouble understanding that we know that they're <laughs> they're in a show about people on a spaceship in the future and it's not 100 percent realistic so right. you could throw in some laughs here and there and i think when we look at our modern doctor who again that's a show that's not afraid to make fun of itself or be funny or cute and have some laughs and you know it, exactly and it doesn't ruin the world of doctor who which is part of it there's sometimes there's you know funny lines or there's sometimes there's some nods to another show or something and it's it's all part of the fun of it instead of feeling like we don't want to break the reality of star trek and make people think that we're not as serious as shit in outer space and i think because there's one when i was doing my extensive reading there was supposed to be a scene or they were talking about a scene where where he also shows up bald at some point like Picard. oh really and i would i would have paid real oh money to please see that. why that did they do that fantastic. that would have been great because i think they also <laughs> you know they are worried about parody they know it's right. it's it's you know unlike the brits who have a much better uh, uh sense of humor about these kinds of things yeah because there's also a, a concern with data that you don't want to push him too far to make him a clown and make him completely ridiculous right even though there are times when he becomes a clown he's completely ridiculous 
And you see it also more in the movies, I think. And and what they do with with Worf in the movies, yeah, is really make him a clown, which is problematic for a number of reasons. They had to be somewhat careful with data. I do want to say something that's very important. Okay. And that is that one of the ways you can tell Data has been taken over by Graves is that he whistles. He whistles. Uh, Let's go back in time, uh, dear listener, to encounter at Farpoint the first time we meet Data. First episode. And he can't whistle, right? He's trying to whistle Pop Goes the Weasel, and he can't do it. And it is one of the most painful, cringy <laughs> scenes in all of Star Trek. I, I will always cringe when I think of that scene. Why is that? Especially because in the next episode, he uh, is bragging about his sexual prowess. Yeah, he has he has uh, sex with Lieutenant Yar, late great Yar. And we made a ton of hay out of the fact that he can somehow please a woman, but he can't whistle. <laughs> Yeah, go back and listen to episode two, folks. That was uh, that was a good one. So, so are we to believe now that Data is now perfect? Now that he can whistle, yeah, he's closed that gap. So the that's character development right there, Dave. Yeah, but he doesn't con- does, he doesn't continue to whistle after that, does he? I don't know. Oh, all he right. Just, he obviously can whistle. Oh, but we don't see him whistle again, though, do we? Do we keep that? Do we pick up that thread again somewhere? I don't know. We're gonna have to keep an eye on this. So these people, they get down to Graves' planet, right? And yes. Graves, this is like one of your Andrew jokes. Would you like to deliver the the? No, the no, no. Graves? You do it. You do it. You're so proud of yourself. I can see Graves. It <laughs> Graves is in grave danger. <laughs> Something's wrong with him, and his sidekick on the planet, Karine, has sent out a urgent message. They they know they're coming, but she sends out a very urgent message to whoever who can listen. That you know he's he's in bad shape. So he's soon going to be in the grave. When the away team gets down there, which includes Data, he really forms a bond with Data, and they start uh, uh, talking. And he wants Data to call him Grandpa, because he recognizes Data as a Sung android, and claims that he taught Nudian Sung everything he knows, so he is kind of Data's Grandpa. Call me Grandpappy! Call me Pep-Pep. I'm your new Pep-Pep. <laughs> Too bad's not... I love that term, um... Uh, for anybody out there that calls their grandmother Meemaw, I love Meemaw. that one. Yeah, Peepaw. Is it Peepaw? And I don't know. I don't know. Oh. I don't know. Dude's one of the greatest minds in the galaxy. He wants to be called Grandpa. He wants to be called Pep Pep, and that's fine. I mean, that's that's he, one of the things he introduces to Data is he sings this song. He whistles. The whistling is what it is, and he's whistling a song from Wizard of Oz. Yes, he says it's an ancient tune. And, and he calls it, if I only had a heart, okay? It's a weird thing they do in this. And they, they really took the song, it's called, If I Only Had a Brain, in, in The Wizard of Oz. There's a verse about having a heart. That but that's what I was going to say. Doesn't, doesn't the scarecrow sing, if I only had a heart? If I only had a heart. No, it's if, that's what I'm saying. The show has changed the song to serve the script. And it's like, why, why even use it? It's... No, it's if I only had a brain and we can't sing it because we won't get on Facebook. But it's like. So you're saying that the, the scarecrow never sings. Scarecrow doesn't need a heart. He a needs heart. a brain. The tin woodsman needs. The, oh, the brain. That's the right. Brain, so brain. The, 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 but the, the way it, go, it starts off with if I only had a brain. And then later right. on, mm-hmm. when they reprise the song, the other characters chime in with a uh, heart, a uh, brain, uh, a home. And then the uh, lion goes, some, cur- some courage. 
And maybe that could be your new voice. You could do the uh, Cowardly Lion. I, I can't. That's that was good. That was like I can't. It's do a lot like my Lion. Christopher Lloyd. <laughs> so my my thing was though. It's a weird thing to change the song to serve the plot, and then they reference it as this ancient song, but it's actually from our time and our you know at the time our century where we were. That movie was made. Everybody watching Star Trek knew that song, except Andrew. Apparently, I I, I haven't watched that since it was like on a CBS right. well, Saturday or Sunday night movie when I was 10. Well, look, look, when we were kids, before TV became so great like it is now, there used to be these movies that would come on and they play them on certain holidays. And Wizard of Oz was, and I don't know which one it was, but Wizard right. of Oz was on every year. So I'd watch it every year. And, you know, like there, there were a few that they'd cycle through and you just, there were no, not, there were no other movies. So you just watched these movies and that's the yeah, one yeah. I saw a bunch of times and I liked it. Ten, Ten Commandments was always on at Easter. When was the and, 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 um, yeah, the Julie Andrews one, Dave. Oh, the sound of the sound of music, the sound of music hills are alive with the sound Ah. music, a song that's been sung for a thousand years world uh world punch a nazi day can we talk about a little more can we go back to spiner a little bit because i spine I dog tell you, this episode deals with data and data's status as a being i don't want to say his humanity because i i i, I don't like that notion that he's trying to be human i i think he's trying to to emulate mm. life more and not be a machine right so a sentient a biological being whatever you want to call it because if he ended up, you know, being like Worf, he'd be just as happy as long as he had some sort of, of emotional availability, that sort of thing. But I have a question for you, and I want you to, I want Me? you to process this, and dear listeners, process Ready? this too. Is Data capable of emotion? So what exactly is emotion for Data? Because when they put Graves in there, suddenly Data has emotion, but that's because of Graves' programming. Because it's not like there's a little graves in a cockpit in the middle of data, like like driving him. He's not like putting on a data mask. It's programming, yeah. But isn't that what it is? It's his his whatever his soul or his consciousness is going inside of data, and it's a human consciousness. It's not a it's not a machine consciousness. Well, I guess this goes back to to the lonely among us when we were trying to figure out what energy Picard was. Because remember they right. they beam him out and then they beam him back, right? Reassemble him, and they they right. sort of recreate Picard in the in the transporter. And we were kind of freaked out about that because are we right. talking about like Picard's soul gets this emotion chip later on? I don't know. It's it's a little weird to me. I, I know the show's exploring this, and it's really interesting. It's kind of like the holodeck thing where it's like. They're just supposing so much. You know, why couldn't Data have been a fully formed mm. human with emotions who was just a machine and that would come with its own issues? You know, how he's treated, mm -hmm. does he have the same kind of rights when he's put into different situations? It, it's just a weird conceit that the show's working under. And I think what, even though most of the really great episodes are either about the holodeck or about Data, what frustrates me about the most is that you watch the show for 178 episodes in seven years, and Data is not that different from who he is in the beginning. And, and it takes them to get into the movies to really let Data open up. And mm -hmm. those are the best parts of the movies because those movies aren't really great movies except for First Contact. 
I don't know, would have made the show a lot stronger, especially for how long it was. The original series had half as many episodes, and they didn't do character development, but there weren't 178 hours of the show going on either. So it does frustrate me to think that they didn't do more with this because it is such a thing that they put on him. But the thing is, let me say this, though. The dude has emotions, and it's really Spiner playing it as like suppressing his emotions. And you, we've seen Data smile. We've seen him interacting with people. He just he doesn't know yeah, everything, sure, sure. but he does. He he can tell a joke, even though uh, two episodes ago he couldn't. He has told jokes. Maybe they're accidental, but he has some kind of sense of humor. This episode where he has the Riker beard on. I mean, that's a gag. That's a joke. And so the dude right. has a personality. He's just not a human. And I think there's just a lot of distraction, a lot of time being spent on him trying to become more human. That is sort of like a dead end. It doesn't go very far on the show itself. But I'm saying all that. But at the same time, Spiner is the, one of the best things on this whole show playing Data. So, you know, I love Data. I think the show has a problem with otherness. Right. And how do you make yeah. the character available and accessible and interesting but at the same time other it's different because the same thing happens to Worf right they're not really sure what to do with Worf and his humanity we talked in where silence has lease about the fact that they had him reverting to this kind of bestial behavior where he's freaking out sometimes he's bestial Sometimes he's not. In the Hearts of Glory episode... Hearts of Glory. And and this this is going to circle around Mm. to what I wanted to say about Data, too, is that there's this fear of Worf, this this worry that he's going to turn against the Enterprise crew to be with these other Klingons. Here, you have Data being kind of turned, kind of turned, because he is dangerous, right? He's hurting people. He hurts Kareen. He hurts Jordy. Uh, he hurts an unnamed engineering crew person, and he smacks Picard <laughs> around just like offhandedly. Yeah, Picard does that does little it. spin and hits the ground. He does this twirl that you got to watch because it's funny. He he goes down, but it's also not funny because it it, it harkens right. back to when Lore was on board and Lore tore Worf up in the turbo lift. You may remember. Yeah, he smacked him. It, it, the battle didn't last anymore in a couple of seconds because he's that powerful. Yeah, he smacked him down hard, and then he shot Bev in the shoulder with a phaser. Yeah, right. So what I'm saying is that Data is dangerous. Right. The scene where Picard is in his ready room with Graves mm. possessed Data, and he pretends to do that internal check to see if his circuits are okay, And Picard looks just like dead at him and says, you know, for the first time since I've known you, I don't believe you. Yeah, to to me, he's saying that to Data, yeah. He's saying that to to Data as Graves or Graves as Data, however you want to put it. But to me, it's a scary moment because you realize at that moment that something really bad could happen to Picard really quickly. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Yeah, there's a sense of danger. I tend to look at Data a little differently after this episode. And and when I first saw this thing, you know, decades ago, I didn't have that feeling. But now for some reason I do. And I I feel like I know what's going to happen in the later episodes. But there's always got to be in the back of my head. If I'm on that ship, I'm just like, I'm not that comfortable with him. Not because he's a machine that thinks he's a man. But because he's a machine that could act like a man. And if he gets angry, you know, why do we want this dude to have emotions? We don't want him to be angry. Yeah, he puts you through the the shuttle bay doors. And he's going to team up with Lore in one episode. You know, they think he's turned on the crew in first contact, decide with the Borg Queen. 
And it's clear that he's capable of being taken over. He's going to have another couple of moments eventually where, you know, he gets a signal from from Nunian Sung and he just sort of right. shuts down or responds to that like an automatic recall. Yeah, I, do, I wonder, you know, that's interesting. I hadn't really thought about it like that because, you know, we, we like him so much and we see we see him for so long. I really wish they could have stabilized the Graves personality thing and he could have just taken on some of the personality traits. Instead of being scared right. of Data, what if Data just became, you know, sort of like the fun parts of Graves? Like he's really funny now. He's calling Wesley boy. He's just like sort of swaggering Data. <laughs> right. Yeah, that that would be funny because what happens is Graves takes over Data and then can't control himself really. He can't hide in Data. He's such a personality that he, at first he tries to act like Data which he never really does a very good job, but then he just kind of lets it go, and he and he's insulting Wesley, and he would have probably opened some kind of a disco down. It would have been great. 10, it would have been fantastic. Ten forward. Yeah. I mean, the ship would have been a lot more fun, that's for sure. We haven't even talked about that eulogy scene. Yeah, that, that's funny. I could safely say that to know him was to love him, and to love him was to know him, and those who knew him loved him. And he delivers that so great. I mean, what if that just became data going forward? It would have been hilarious. <laughs> that eulogy is, it goes on after that. It's annoying. Data says, uh, or, you know, the hijack data says, I, I, I'm not done yet. And Picard says, you're done. Yeah, that's that's enough of that shit. Because he was going to continue. Oh, no, you're done. No, hang on a minute. I'm getting, you're I'm done. getting a yeah. weird message here. Yes, I'm, I'm Marina Sirtis's manager, and I'd like to t- I'd like you to talk a little bit about Marina Sirtis, because I think she's wonderful in this episode. Number one, we, we finally get to see her using her powers, and, and she senses the jealousy coming off Data, and she has this really cool machine, and I just don't know why yes. you guys don't spend more time talking about Marina Sirtis. <laughs> you don't think, what, what, what do you think this guy's name is? Hey, Maury, hey, Maury, we're talking about Marina Sirtis like nobody's business, Listen, man. Marina is a world-class talent. She is a person I, of Greek descent who speaks with a British accent and then still goes on the show. And uh, who knows what that accent is, but it's amazing. <laughs> but I want I want you to talk about the fact that she has the psychotronic stability examination. Yeah. And and that's she, that's what helps. But this is what kills me about this character, okay? What's that? She's she she takes action and she motivates things and does things in this episode. So I agree with that. But this whole thing about her powers and she can read minds and she can uh, feel things sometimes and then she, so she should really have the ability to experience Data's mind in some way and go, you're not Data after all. But she doesn't do that. She needs to t- put this weird-ass chip on his head, which, I mean, and like we know as the audience, I think we should know that this is Graves. I mean, that they've given you every clue. But just to really put the point home, this psychotronic chip that she puts on his head displays on a screen his memories. We see his memories. And so we're actually seeing Data memories and we're seeing Graves' memories. And so she's like, aha, I see it. You are Graves. Gotcha. It's like, but it come on. The, the, the genius of Marina Sirtis that, that, that delivers oh, this oh. performance. Oh, Ma- Maury, you're still there. Yes. Uh, listen, listen, everybody. 
Deanna Troy was not my number one favorite character when I first watched these shows, but I am really learning to appreciate Troy a lot better. And part of it is because I feel like the actress is suffering a bit. I, I do think it's an interesting character, and I and I want I want her to uh, have uh, take wings and fly on the show, and I, I'm waiting for it to happen. And any little time, you're right, Maury. Any little time, we can see a little glimmer of that. I'm happy to see it. She is she is a, a credited cast member. She is a featured player. Don't you don't she's you boys they, forget that she's the one they call as Counselor Troy. <laughs> the other thing I want to say that I, the reason I enjoyed this episode so much, the, the first scene of this episode made me nervous because it was all about Pulaski, right? And then she just leaves. It is the weirdest thing because it it, it sets you up like this is going to be Pulaski centric episode, right? Especially because there's all these medical concerns, and then she's gone. Yep. But more importantly. Bye. Oh, go, go ahead. Don't let the transporter hit you on the way out, Doctor. But more importantly, yes. we get Dr. Solar, Lieutenant Solar, who will never show up again, who will be mentioned time and time again. Why? But he was played by, I, I'm going to go ahead and say the sublime Susie Plaxon, who will go on to She's... play Kalar. And and I love Kalar. I can't wait till we get to the Kalar episode. Who the hell is Kalar? Kalar is Worf's one true love before he it goes to DS9. Oh, oh, okay, all right. She is wonderful and I love that character so much and they will treat her so poorly. I also like Dr. Solar. She's got some good looks, you know, she's got some good side eye going on like hmm. Yeah, she's the actress. Yeah, the actress good. I I'm surprised they didn't bring that character back. She was fun to have around. She would have made a great a much better doctor replacement than Pulaski. Tell me about it. So we'll we'll see Solar, we'll hear about Solar being mentioned from time to time. But even when Bev comes back, I would have been happy with some Dr. Solar. I, why not? Why not have some of these secondary characters? And they do later on. You know, we have more secondary characters show up later, but she would have been a great one to see. I went to the actor's website, and she's got that expression. She yes. uses that in yes, different yes, ways. Yes. And she's very, she's very good. Yes, yeah, she, she bills herself as a multimedia artist oh that's what i do too did you i, I thought that because your jazz record oh. as I, I it's on my turntable constantly oh man, jazz man. Uh, well it's just a uh, free form stuff i've been getting into we'll have to get we'll have to i'll have to get back to that on the show a bit it's commander dave uh sings songs the young people like it's really uh it's quite a snappy snappy mm. disc if i only had a heart can we touch on picard before we go this is the picard we know and love we were much more concerned about Picard in season one. Right. And it seems now he's arrived at the Picard we know and love. It seems like it. He's, he's Picarding it up. I mean, he's very compassionate and patient in this one. He demonstrates some insight, talking to Jordy. He understands their best friends. He's very careful in, in how he explores this. He doesn't just come out and say, you know, let's just turn this robot off. Right. Let's just flip the switch on this bitch because I've had it with this behavior. <laughs> He's a my friend. Let's get the computer to create a tree. We could strap his ass to the tree and beam them both out into space. That's what he should be right. doing. I, I, I put a, a small cat in the shuttle. Why don't you go and pet it? Captain. But he's also ballsy. Picard. Yeah, when yeah. he confronts, you know, faux data and he's just like, you know, I, I'm not going to have mm. this behavior. This behavior is intolerable. Right. I'm not putting up with it. Okay, you could snap me like a breadstick, but I still right. want to see you in my ready room where I'm going to dress you down, buddy. Because that's not how this yeah, rolls. Yeah, that's right. My ready room data. Well, listen, I smacked that pile of black goo <laughs> right where it counts. 
I put him in line. I can take down an entity. I can take down a uh, possessed robot. Are you For talking God's about sense. Armus? Yeah, Armus. Oh, Armus. I miss Armus. We miss you. I wish Armus would come to visit. Sorry, guys. <laughs> is that Armus or is that Scooby? <laughs> it sounds like Scooby, too, has been covered by Armus. Oh, sorry, guys. There's Armus. He's back. Say, Armus, Armus, were you intimidated by Jean-Luc Picard? Oh, yes. He he really put that robot in its yeah. place. I wanted to mention something. What's that, Armus? When it's, I only had a brain. <laughs> Armus, are you looking for representation? Because we had uh, Marina Sirtis' manager on here a minute ago. I mean, if you're... I saw him on the way out and ate him. <laughs> I... I subsumed him into my black void like Jonathan Frakes. Oh, gosh. Ladies, right. uh, 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 listener, dear listener. Oh, dear listener. Dear listener, I, I, I think we have uh, both feel possessed by the spirit of an old man. Now. <laughs> well, I could talk about this mm. episode all day long. Yes. Uh, luckily, we have uh, episode number seven to look forward to coming up next. Unnatural selection. You make me feel like an unnatural selection, number one. Well, listen to this. This is what we've been listening to, folks. This is uh, your favorite Star Trek The Next Generation rewatch podcast, STTNGs, not another Star Trek podcast. This podcast isn't afraid to go all robot on you. I love that robot business. I wish we did this whole episode this way. The next episode that features robots, we will read like this. It will be nonstop robot fun. Bigger, bigger, bigger. Bigger. This is Commander Dave E. Dave and Ormus signing out. And this is Android Andrew powering down. Let's go mind the store. The Radio Shack. Bigger, bigger. Bye, everyone. Let's go mind the store. On the next episode of STTNG's Not Another Star Trek Podcast, Andrew and Dave play doctor. <laughs> they talk about intergalactic grooming habits. They talk hair and mold air. Dave obsesses over ejaculates. Andrew, please talk more about ejaculates. Jean Luc discovers he has a secret admirer on board. New Year's service record backward and forward. Apparently, she's kind of an admirer of yours for some time. We talk about genetic engineering, but in a good way. It's Darwin Station. Hey, what are you guys doing down there? We're making a master race. Uh, we're breeding sea turtles down here, man. We have a plot point, and you'll say to yourself, I did not see that coming. Can you imagine the Emmy show? And like they have Twiggy come out. He's like, bigger, bigger, bigger. Oh, my God. And now Emmy for outstanding achievement <laughs> in hairstyling. Our favorite orange-haired space physician gets a good rinsing. You're getting obliterated, and then you're being reassembled like a new you on the other the pad on wherever it is. All this and somehow so much more in the next episode of STTNG's Not Another Star Trek Podcast. Dreaming straight to your pod hole. In space. No one can hear you stream.
To know him was to love him, and to love him was to know him. And those who knew him loved him. 